Well, where are we? When we think of Job, we think of what? We always, we're suffering. Patience, the patience of Job. And why do we think of his patience? Hi, Tracy. Good to see you. I sat in your seat this morning. And they fussed at me for doing it too, by the way. Why was Job patient? He didn't sin. And all, and all the complaints that he could possibly have done, he, he did his best, though losing everything, though being in, admit, in immense pain, he didn't sin. But he wasn't without complaining. Okay? He still had his fussing. The gift of complaining. Job spends a goodly amount of time in this middle section of the book complaining about everything and it's conversations between Job and his friends and, and interjects and so forth and so on. We talked about uh, complaining in a lot of the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms and Almost a third of them are of the lament or complaint type. Humankind has got a gripe. We don't like our situation. We don't like our circumstances. And we're giving it to who we think can do something about it. Okay. Only the Hebrews were a people that complained in prayer to God. Nobody else did. Why do you think that was true? Only the Hebrews were praying to a live God. All the other pagan religions were praying to a statue, a piece of wood, a rock, uh, something that symbolized the God. But the Hebrews, the Jews, they believed that God was alive and that God could hear their prayer, answer their prayer, and do something about their complaint. And so they complained. They, they weren't bashful about letting God know when they were displeased with Him or they didn't like something about it. Now, God didn't appreciate it all the time. He frees them from Egypt. And then on the wilderness wanderings, what do they get? We're hungry, we're thirsty. We're Roman, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And that continually caused problems between God and the Hebrews. And, and he gets a little bit upset at them sometimes. So ancient religions, they prayed and offered worship. They cursed their enemies, but only Israel had complaint prayers. And only Israel believed in a living God. Now... All right. What are some of our complaints? And I'm not, I don't mean religiously. What are just our general complaints in finances? Okay. We, we got too much money and we don't know what to do with it. Well, we ain't finished finances yet. Is that right? Is that a good complaint? Is that the right complaint? Who's ever complained about having too much money? 
Not enough money. Yeah. We always want more, right? We never have enough. Every time we get enough, somebody comes along and takes it from us in the form of a bill. The government sends us a tax due bill or our car breaks down or the storm comes along and tears off our roof or blows an oak tree down and crashes our house or, or whatever, okay? So finances, there's always somebody in line to take your money away from you. You'd always like to keep it. You'd like to stock, sock it away so that you could quit working one day and you could enjoy a life of ease and you could retire and go to the, go to the Panama City Beach like the Rich Reddings do every, every winter, okay? That's everybody's dream, right? To go and spend winter in, in Florida or away from this cold. Go on vacation. I'm the preacher, and you're the audience. No more comments from the peanut gallery. All right. I had too much money, didn't know what to do with it, so I said, well, let's go to Hawaii. Right? Yeah. Too hot. Okay. Or too cold. Yeah. It seems like we're never satisfied, right? Uh, maybe in April and May, or March and April, and maybe September and October, but when it's December or it's July, you know, what, what's the complaint? It's too hot, too cold, it's too dry. What, Miss Ann? Not enough rain, right, not enough rain. Just, we get it at the wrong times. Okay, why can't, why can't we spread it out evenly all the course of the year, God, and get two inches a week, right? Instead of nine inches today and nothing for seven weeks, okay? I mean, isn't that the way it goes in, in nature a lot of times? Okay, well, we, we got finances, we got weather. Anybody complain about those people that go and, and check out in the 20 items or less line? <laughs> they don't want to get in front of me because I will tell them about it, you know. Can you not count in front of me? You know. Is that 20 items or more? Well, of course it is, you know. And you know what? They've got to just stand there and take it because they know, right? They know. They know how many items they got, but they know if they cut through the 20 line, they don't have to wait as long. They can make me wait longer, but it's okay for them, okay? What else we got complaints about? Bad drivers? Oh. The boss? Let's stick with bad drivers a minute, okay? I used that last week as the, as the illustration of, you want to find out what the dichotomy of the world and the attitude is? Just... Go drive your car for an hour on the city streets, okay? And if you don't get flipped the bird 15 times or see somebody else do it 15 times, because surely we're not those bad drivers that we're talking about, you know? But, I mean, it is immense, the, the arrogance that's on the street. I can turn whenever I want to. I can stop whenever I want to. I can U-turn whenever I want to. I can cut in front anytime I want to. It's just 
It's, it's my road. I paid for it, my taxes, and so I'm letting you drive on it. But, okay, but, and, and that's the dichotomy of the general attitude of our world right now. Now, what's your complaint about your boss? We won't tell him, buddy. They don't listen. Yeah. The boss thinks he knows it all, right? That's why he thinks he's the boss, okay? We all know that the people under the boss really know what's going on and how to get it done and what the real work is. The boss is just living in this dream, okay? This imagination scenario that everything is, is fine. And if you want to know how much the boss knows, just give him a problem and let him figure it out. Let them see how it's done. And you'll figure out what the boss knows and what the boss doesn't know. What else you got to complain about? Yeah. Don't even get me started there. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I didn't hear it. Spun out his ground. Was this in Kentucky? Yeah. So if I'm getting this right, the FedEx driver in his truck threw, threw gravel in this guy's driveway, and he didn't like it, and so he got a gun and, and made him fix it? That guy is? Or the FedEx driver? Oh, yeah. 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 And just think, a bunch of people are living next door to people just like that. They just haven't got their guns out and used them yet. Okay? What's that? Health issues. We talked about that this morning. You, if, about how bad, like all the people that go in to a doctor and within weeks find out terribly, terribly bad news. I didn't mention her by name, but I think everybody knows who I was talking about this morning. Miss Ruth. The, the guy with the, I did mention it? Okay. Whoops. Every one of those people this morning was a, was a real person. It wasn't just a preacher made up thing, okay? Steve Vessels, class of 70, Fern Creek High School. He's the guy with the brain tumor. Jimmy Lentz was the guy that had lung cancer. We all knew about who Alex Trebek, right? The game show, the TV star. And I forget the last one. Who was the last one? Yeah. Larry Wright. Larry Wright. Did I mention him too, by name? Yeah. Yeah, Larry Wright. Good friend of mine. Good friend of mine. I just hated that. What he went through. And the health issues. What? Their spouses. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. What, 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 what do people say about their spouses, Jack? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I should have allowed more time for this section of stuff here. Because <laughs> we haven't even got to the sermon yet. <laughs> you see how we all got complaints? And, and, and Job had his. 
with the situation and the circumstances. Job 23. Now, Chuck, I cut you off for a reason. I didn't want you to get in any further trouble. So I just decided that, that we would ignore that. But, but there are counseling people we can get Miss Ruby into if you'd like us to uh, <laughs> take care of that situation for you. Job 23. Then Job answered and said, Today also my complaint, my complaint is bitter. My hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There, an upright man could argue with him, and I would be acquitted forever by my judge. Now, folks, that's pretty strong for a man like Job, who's been wiped out, and who is sick with boils all over his feet, and is feeling that God almost owes him an answer. Job feels like I can stand before God and demand him tell me why he's doing these things to me. What have I done? Surely, would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. There an upright man could argue with him. And I would be acquitted forever by my judge. So Job is convinced God has left him. So Job gets his wish. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said... Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. You think God's putting Job in his, in his place? Just a bit. Just a bit. What do you think you know, Job? You don't know 
squat. You weren't here. You didn't watch any of my work. You didn't approve of anything. You can't even ask, answer a question that I've got for you. Verse 25 of that same chapter. God is still speaking. Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the ground sprout with grass. Now, just real quickly, we could pass over this. But God is saying, why does the desert get rain? Who's going to see it? Why do we send rain on a place where no man lives? Because nothing could use it. Except the channel that ferrets the rain that comes down to the grass and the sprouts in the desert. And then the desert brings forth what? Life. That's why God sends the rain. God is talking about how generous um, a person he is. He's telling Job, I send rain even to the desert. God is just good because God loves to give. That's his character. That's his nature. He's love and he's a giving God. And so therefore, we don't have the, the real right to complain to him for the way things are going. God is telling Job, I'm worth the pain. It won't last. I'm the kind of God that is worth getting close to. Now, the ultimate paradox in this particular situation is that God came to earth in the spiritual winter. Things were pretty bleak when Jesus came and occupied a human body and lived on this earth. Job and Jesus were, are both called a man of sorrow. And Job is here reflecting during his trial that God has left him. The greatest paradox in the world is when Jesus hung on the cross, was God, was the Son of God, and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The paradox is that God himself was able and capable of sensing a lack of presence of God. Doesn't that seem strange? God the Son cannot feel God the Father. During when? During his spiritual winter. Can, can you imagine a situation more difficult 
than Jesus and his suffering, the pain and the anguish that he was put through, the unfairness of it, the, the lies that were told about him, and yet he went through it willingly, and what? He did not sin, just like Job. He went through all of that and didn't sin. And yet he felt a spiritual winter in which he couldn't, couldn't sense the presence of God. Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then Job 42 Job has changed his mind. God has put him in his place, not trying to harm him, but just straighten Job out. Job says in Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge therefore I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me which I did not know hear and I will speak I will question you and you make it known to me I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's a different person. No more complaints. He's still in pain. He still doesn't have anything in life. But, but he understands that nothing of God's plan and purpose is going to be canceled or defeated. Verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, My anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you've not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. I don't know, you know. We read in Scripture many, many times about the wrath of God, or God being angry, or God passing out discipline for disobedience and all that kind of stuff. And here, God's just angry with the way these three men talked. Reality was, Job, Job was saying, uh, I didn't done anything. I don't know why God did this to me. And they're saying, well, you did. And so you just need to repent because God's doing this to you. So they're, they're kind of taken up for God. But then God is, is telling them, you know, Job was right, guys. You didn't listen to him. And so I'm angry with you. Yeah, you defended me, but you weren't right. My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. 
as my servant Job is. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept his prayer, not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for all his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And they're doing this because they think all these things have happened to Job. Because what? Because what the Lord brought on him. And while the Lord allowed it, it was really Satan that brought it on him. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Now, I don't know whether you can remember what Job had over in the first part of, but I can tell you how you can tell. Just cut each one of these numbers in half because the scripture says he gave Job twice as much. So he had 14,000 sheep after you know what he had before? 7,000. 6,000 camels. You know what he had before? 3,000. 100 yoke of oxen. He had 500 yoke of oxen. And 100 female donkeys. And he had 500 female donkeys. Then he had also seven sons, three daughters. You, mean how, you know, remember how many children he had before? Seven sons, three daughters. Same number, same sex. Seven boys, three girls. And he called the name of the first daughter, Gemini, and the name of the second, Kezai, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuch. Now these names mean dove, cinnamon, and eyeshadow. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. This didn't happen before. Before, in this culture, to get an inheritance from your father, you had to be a male. The, the girls didn't get anything, sorry to say. They got a dowry given to them and married off to somebody else and became the property of some other man. And that, that inheritance became their husbands or their, their father-in-laws. But the sons in this particular place, in this particular reference, they're not even mentioned. There's seven sons, three daughters, here's their name, and they're given an inheritance. Job is a changed man. 
And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died, an old man full of days. Job's given twice as much as before. Job is a changed man. And in his spiritual winter, he held on to God. So the question is, during a spiritual winter, can one hold on to God? This man did. And it may be tough, but we can as well. Learn from the man Job. He did all without sin. If you have a need this afternoon, a desire to renew your relationship with God, to get into a relationship with God, if you've never confessed the name, now's the time and the opportunity for you. Make your wishes known while we stand and sing this song.